This is tape number 16 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is faith and your marriage in the future. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 8, and it reads as follows. And some Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And now, let's join in for praise and worship followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith and Your Marriage in the Future. Message number 16 of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. Well, we're spending all year talking about how God builds faith and the last part of the year, how God builds faith from our most intimate personal relationships. And we're going to proceed all the way from marriage through friendships. And uh, last week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God has so cleverly made the universe that the same things that are necessary for a healthy personal relationship are necessary to build our relationship with Christ. And we talked about preparing for marriage being essentially the same steps that we uh, need to do in order to prepare for His return. And then last week we talked about the, the two characteristics that God wants to build into our marriages, the love and the respect, are the very same characteristics He wants to build into our relationship with Him, the love and the reverence. Now, this week, we're going to talk about something very sobering. And that is essentially the necessity and the difficulty of going beyond the usual ways and the usual patterns of relationship, the usual ways of thinking because the world <clears throat> creeps in very subtly and steals away your dreams and you are consigned then to something very ordinary while there is some hope in you someday to have something that's not ordinary at all because that's what you were made for there is a, a little vignette out of a, a Broadway musical called Closer Than Ever where a wife finds herself just not only in her marriage but in all of her life just in patterns, just in habits and she struggles with couldn't there be more but yet the fear of reaching out for more. Listen as you hear this. Every move I make 
Just look, here I am on cue again, upset, feeling torn in two again, afraid, saying I'm okay, making little jokes till I run away again, and yet. your scriptures with you, would you turn to Matthew chapter 19. That will show you 
a group of believing people who, have cons- who had consigned themselves to thinking only in ways of damage control, only in ways of the context of minimizing the damage in life rather than dreaming about perfection in life. Let me give you a little background. This is uh, a group of Pharisees coming to Jesus, asking him to interpret Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which is the Old Testament verse that uh, gives permission for divorce. Let me read that verse very quickly to you. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Now, over the years, in the believing community, there had grown two schools of thought. The conservative and the liberal, even as we have conservative and liberal believers today. The Shammai school was the conservative school. It interpreted this indecency as one indecency only, and that was adultery. Violating the Ten Commandments as it did, they said that only adultery was permissible grounds for divorce, and that being repetitive adultery. There was, however, the liberal school, the Hillel school, that says, well, it doesn't say exactly that, so some indecency could could cover a lot of things. It could cover, you know, that she was cantankerous, or it could cover that she um, um, didn't cook right, or it could cover maybe he had just found somebody he liked better, and and their marriage wasn't working out, and, 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 and they had just drifted apart. Now, it probably is no contest for you to figure out which one of these schools was more popular by Jesus' day. Of course, the Hillel school, the liberal school, the more realistic school, looking at things realistically, uh, was the most popular. So popular, as a matter of fact, that marriage was so unstable in the day that Jesus walked on the scene that there were many, many couples who were afraid to get married at all by virtue of the rate of divorce. Does that sound vaguely familiar to any society you know? And so when they came to Jesus, they came with a trap. They came with an either-or. And they said, you know, this guy today, in his declaration, is going to side with one or the other, and, and by virtue of that, he's going to lose uh, one school of popularity or the other. If you will look with me <clears throat> at verse 3, it says, And some Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Do any of you who know the Bible know what book that quote comes from? Genesis chapter 2 right after creation. 
In other words, Jesus looked at them and said, I reject your options. I reject that I am trapped in a system that confines me to choosing the lesser of two evils. My reference point is not Sinai. My reference point is Eden. I refuse to live life or to govern life on the basis of the law which mitigates sin. That's the function of the law, to lessen or slow down sin. And in doing that, it's good. But is it the highest good? The answer is no. Is it the ultimate good? And the answer is no. Now let me ask you a very important question. And this may insult you at first. But I want you to think about it before you get too insulted for too long. When did you relegate yourself to the trap of the world's thinking, thinking that the best you could do for your life was to come out with as little damage as possible? In other words, when did you give up your dreams of having a perfect and wonderful life and relegate yourself to second-class citizenship in this world? When did you buy the world's alternatives that said the best you can do is choose the lesser of two evils? When did you stop understanding that the Word not only gives the protection from increasing sin, it continues to give the vision of the ideal life, and that vision of the ideal life has never, never been overcome by sin. Do you think for one minute that those are God's only options? Well, it's a mess now. I guess all we can do is come out as, with as little damage as possible. Well, they messed up their lives now. Now I don't know what I'm going to do. I just hope they can get it. Back together as soon as possible. Hang in there, you all. I say this by way of confession. I hear myself telling people, when they tell me these unsolvable problems, hang in there. I don't want you to let me get away with that anymore. The next time I tell one of you to hang in there, I want you to stop me in my tracks. And I want you to say, don't say hang in there. Say this, God can fix that. God can make something perfect out of what has been broken. Jesus said, I don't accept your options. I don't accept your trap. Because there is a perspective that is above that trap. Let me ask you to ask yourselves honestly now. If your marriage is somewhat dull, or if it is indeed really troubled. Do you not find yourself only with two options, thinking only of two options? Do you not say to yourself, you know, as a Christian, i got two options here. Either I can do something that I know is wrong because I know God hates divorce and I know it damages society and I know it damages my kids, 
But I've got, there's this dream in me that won't die for this wonderful relationship that won't go away. And every day I'm in pain. And so therefore my option is to get a divorce and live in guilt and live damaged. Or the other option is to stay in this thing and tough it out for the sake of my kids and for the sake of society. And that's basically my choice. You have just relegated your life to the garbage heap. You have just said, as good as the only good that can come out of this whole thing, God's best option is one that makes suffering the only future I have. Do you really think that's all God can come up with? But yet that's all we think about. Let me ask you this. When did you relegate your children to the garbage dump? When did you begin to think sin is so inevitable and so powerful that I guess what I need to do for my kids is make what is going to happen anyhow as safe as it can be? I'm going to have sex. Therefore, I need to educate them in the safe ways to have sex. I need to buy condoms for them. Or I need to know that they can get them at school somewhere. Or I need to, I need to, you know what, my kids, you know, my kids are going to drink. Kids just drink. So if they're going to drink, I, I think I'll just have them drink at home where they'll be safe. It's either that or live in the unrealistic world. Are those really your only two options? When did you consign your children, in your eyes, to second class citizens? When did you say that the best I can do is to be realistic in the world's terms of realism and give up my dreams that my kids could be better than I was? When did that happen? Those of you who are single, when did you you give up hoping for that perfect, wonderful friendship? Because I can tell you what you're thinking right now. This is what you go back and forth between. You say, you know what? Either I cloister myself and remain holy and remain true to God and not really have very good relationships except for some church activities with some sourpusses. Or I go out and have fun with a world that will not judge me. Because they got nothing to judge me on because they got no standards so they accept anything I do and I'm just a good old boy. See? Those are the two options that you go back. But you have, somewhere along the line, you gave up thinking, God is going to give me this fantastic spiritual partner who loves me for who I am, who I can be perfectly honest with, and we can laugh and still worship. You gave it up. When? When did you give up for your own life? The dream of being absolutely perfect in your conduct for Christ and not living the rest of your life trying to make up for the mistakes that you've already made. When did you give that dream up? You see, most people say, I got two options here. You know, either I face my sin fully. 
rooting out everything I've ever done wrong and live damaged the rest of my life. Because I'll never forget that. That'll always have its effect on me. And I'm just going to walk around with my tail between my legs for the rest of my life. I'll never, ever, ever be as good as everybody else. Or you come over to this option and you say, I'm not facing my sin at all. I'm not going to admit it. I'm going to go on and just say, it's no big deal. Uh, uh, and, and I'm just going to live life uh, to the fullest, uh, the best I can, because what's, what's, what's happened has happened. So I'm not going to face any effects it has on me. You know what you've done when you did that? You just let the world ste- steal, absolutely steal, your victory in life and your power and your joy. Because you're either living a lie or you're thinking the only truth you have is the sin you've done. Do you understand that in Matthew 5, Jesus came on the scene and looked at absolutely the best believing behavior in the world? You know who that was? That was the Pharisees. Most of us think of Pharisees as rotten people. I want to tell you, Pharisees at least had this wonderful religious sincerity where they tried their absolute hardest. And Jesus looked at him and said to this little group of sinful people, you know what? Your righteousness needs to be better than theirs. You need to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And people would say, what? So he, said, he, he said, yeah, watch this. You, you think you just got to cope with life? Let me tell you something. You know what? It has been said not to a murder. I'm going to tell you, don't even be angry. And people will say, what? What? Yeah, yeah. It's been said, don't commit adultery. I'm going to tell you, don't even lust. It's been said, you know, the Old Testament says, if you got... Two coats, and you see a guy without one coat, give him one of your coats. You know what I tell you? You see without a, guy, a guy without a coat, give him your coat and your shirt. Give him all you got. It's been said, don't hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And then the pièce de résistance, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. What does it say? Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Holy cow! Are you kidding me? I have trouble getting out of. I, I have trouble driving through traffic, and God's telling me to be perfect. That's exactly what God's telling us. Why? Because He never wants us to give up the dream of what. He can do in our lives. I don't care how bad you've messed up your life. You can't possibly fix it, let alone be perfect on your own. But let me ask you this question. Is your faith so small that you literally don't believe God can fix it? Do you think there's anything in this world He can't make wonderful? you think there's anything in this world He can't fix? Did He, go, did he come upon that woman caught in adultery? And look at her. Now, can you imagine anything being more shameful than being caught in the act of adultery in public? Did Jesus come upon that scene and say, Man, you blew it. You've got to carry this with you for the rest of your life. 
You're always going to be a second class citizen. Now, now I'll tell you what, I'll include you in my little band and, and, and so on and so forth, but, but I, this is just something you've got to drag around with you. You'll never forget this. You're always going to have this memory holding on to you, and always, you're always going to see yourself like you see yourself right now. Did he say that? What did he say? He said, okay, hey, hey everybody, come in. Come here. Okay, everybody uh, who is without any sin at all, go ahead. Nobody cast a stone. Everybody just saw in their hearts, and they were so ashamed, they dispersed. You know who was blessed? The one who was so ashamed, she couldn't even move. Most of us are ashamed enough to get out of God's sight, but not so ashamed that we can't even move. And he looked at her and he said, I'm not going to condemn you. You know why he didn't condemn her? Because he took her condemnation on himself. How much of her condemnation did he take? All of it. All of it. How much of the damage you have done to your lives does God take off of you? Ten percent? How much, how much does he take away? He takes all of that damage. He takes all of that sin away. Is God a liar when he says, Behold, I make all things new? Does God lie when he says, If we are faithful and just to confess our sins, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from, what's that word? All unrighteousness. It's all gone. Now, what business do we have giving up our dreams, giving up, God's dreams for us and consigning ourselves to second class citizenship. Listen, if you, if you always understand that God has first place for you, because you're His child, you're not His slave, you're His child. And sometimes you come into a place where you think is second place, then that's how He has worked the world out in that particular circumstance only to put you in first place the next time. But let me tell you this. If you consign yourself to second place or third place or fourth place, your life will always be in the toilet. And you're always going to be depressed. Because all you've got is being conformed to the world's image of lessening the damage in your life. Now, God's got bigger plans for you than that. You don't have to drag around any of this stuff. You know, one time Beck and I were, were driving down the road and this was in Indiana. It was a, it was a winter, and we came up over a hill. We looked to our right, and in the back, in the backyard, in somebody's backyard, one of the ugliest things we'd ever seen in our lives. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, some of you lived up north making snowmen, and what would happen if there was just a light coat of snow, and you started rolling that stuff up, having neglected to rake the leaves beforehand? That's exactly what had happened. There wasn't. A snowman. There was a dead leaf man there. You know, you know. He looked like a monkey. It's just the ugliest thing because because all these leaves were sticking out all over him. You know. Some of you think I'll always be like that. I've got this. I'll always remember, and that I'll always remember. And so you, the best you think you can do is walk along in this world like dead leaf man. What does Scripture say? I make you whiter than snow. I make you totally pure. Behold, I make all things new. And when, now listen, when we do have a remembrance of what we have been through, when we let God say, okay, God, 
you know what? Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I know what it is to go to God and say, God, I haven't even got a shot at doing anything constructive in this world. I've been there. I was raised in an alcoholic family and learned all the wrong patterns of relationships. I sinned in my life in ways that I would not admit to you these days. I went before God after trying for years to become a little better, to become a little improved. And I finally looked at him and said, I cannot do this. Just accept me. And I remember God saying, (laughs) well, it's about time. I'm going to use you to change the world. Do you not think he has that very same message for you? There is no difference between you and I. He has that message. And the wonderful thing about this is that when you decide to step out of that trap of thinking that the world has for you and decide to step back into God's idealism, that God can fix your, not just fix your marriage, make it wonderful. Not just fix your children, make them wonderful if you face the truth fully. Not just fix your friendships, make them wonderful, make them ideal, you're, that's what you're going for. Then, you know what, you're not threatened by those little memories anymore. Let me tell you what they're like. When I was, <clears throat> when I was, uh, uh, Living back in Indiana, and, and we just had the two boys, Josh and I, they were little boys, and and uh, and I'm I'm not a good I'm not a good dad game guy, you know. I, I I've just never been very much fun as a dad, and my kids understand that. I mean, they, you know, and I never, you know, okay, let's play Scrabble, okay, let's play chess, let's, you know. I, so, but every once in a while, you get a guilt attack, and you got to do something, you know. And there's only so many times you can say, "Hey, boys, want to watch me read this book?" You know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I'm having this guilt attack, and. And so I said, okay, I'm going to fly a kite. I'll, I'll fly a kite. You know, I'm just, I'm not a fun guy, but I got a, went down and got a kite. Okay, let's fly a kite, boys. And they go, oh, all right, you know. So I go, go back in the backyard, you know. And I, it's a windy day, you know, I think, oh, this is going to be easy. So I, built, I, I put this kite together, this stupid kite. And I'm running up and down, you know, running up and down, this thing going, boom, boom, you know. And... Josh and Isaac are there watching me. When's it going to fly? When are you going to fly? When's it going to get up? Is it going to go high? When's it going to get high? Why does it keep crashing? You know? Oh, man. The whole dad thing's on the line here, you know? I could, I could you know. So, so I, it finally hit me that it has this little ribbon tail, you know? And it just, I mean, it just didn't have enough weight on the tail. So I, I turned to the boys. I said, look, I think it needs a little bit more weight on the tail. You guys got anything you could stick on the tail of this? It can't be very heavy, but just... Man, they knew just the thing. They went ran in the house because the day before they had conned me out of a uh, out of quarter uh, because they saw this uh, really neat knife in one of those canister twist put a quarter in you twist the thing and you get a prize out you know and they saw this knife in there they wanted this knife so they say hey, dad you know we really want it we'll earn this money you give us a quarter and we're going to get this knife so they put the thing in and out came this rubber mosquito this monster. <laughs> You know, ugliest thing, you know, you know, rubber mosquito. Of course, their faces went, ugh, you know. Ugly, ugly, ugly thing. So they had this, you know, and, and, and so they run in the house, they get the rubber mosquito. 
they bring his rubber mosquito back. Here, tape this thing to it, you know? We don't like it anyhow. <laughs> yeah? Well, tape that thing to the end, and that, that kite just took off. Uh, let me tell you something. Many of you look at your past and even your present like that old rubber mosquito. You're trying for a knife, you got a rubber mosquito. You know? <laughs> God does not completely make things disappear. He wants to show you He is so sovereign that He can weave all of the things that are repulsive in your life right now and just put it at the tail of your kite. He'll use those very things to give you the weight in your life to make you go higher. That's what He has planned for you. Don't ever give up on your dreams. Don't ever give up on God's dreams. Don't ever consign yourself to second-class citizenship because that's not what God has for any of His children. Now pray with me. God, help us to listen to our hearts. You have made us for Eden, not just for Sinai. You have made us for grace and not just for the law. Help us, Lord God, to believe again. Help us to have the faith and confidence in you, not in ourselves, that we need in order to watch you build our lives into what is perfect. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.